0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air. Nothing can replace the pleasure of turning the pages of the printed book. Join us now as we explore our city's rich literary heritage, talking with people who are passionate about the printed word and celebrating the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute's fascinating local history. Welcome to Wireless Books.
1: Welcome, everyone, and welcome, Christine, a chief librarian of the Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, to another edition of Wireless Books. And if you want to know where the Athenaeum library is, Christine's exactly the right type of person to tell you, being as how she goes there five days a week. And for that, I salute (laughs) you, madam.
2: Okay and well as I told the gentleman on the phone the other day we're at 23 the octagon and uh, yes I had a phone call from a man in in Auckland who was interested in our library. I've been getting phone calls and Christchurch Auckland it's just we're becoming not, we're coming nationwide. But are they going to join? No they um they've just I think they heard the bit on national radio and wanting to know more. Fascinating. Mm. Oh, well done, you. World famous in
1: the rest of the country.
2: (laughs) Right. here are. Right, shall we zip, zap straight into the new books? Oh,
1: yes, that's fine. You know I have no problems with that. I really enjoyed the books you gave me last time, so thank you
2: it's good cuz you got had the latest lisa jewel i,
1: I did and my gosh she did not disappoint that woman all the way up to the last chapter nay the last page just riveting stuff mm, okay. not a bodice ripper but a page
2: turner of a book <laughs> that's what we want now this is a new book for the library, but it's actually an old book. It's another Agatha Christie. It's The Moving Finger.
1: One of my favorites.
2: Oh right. And it's it's nominally a Miss Marple book, but she barely she sort of pops in for about the last three chapters sort of thing. So it's, it's it tells a story of a of a man who has a, a terrible accident on in his aeroplane and he has to has to go and recuperate, and his doctors advise him to go someplace quiet. And so his sister, who's a a bright young thing, (laughs) takes him to some obscure little village, um, limestock, and it just seems this very, very quiet village. Nothing much happens until they become aware that people are, are receiving poisonous pen letters accusing people of various unspeakable things, and they become aware of it because a letter is sent to them accusing them of not being brother and sister at all, but actually doing <laughs> up to no good. And, of course, being um, bright, young, sophisticated Londoners, they they go, ha, 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 how foolish, and screw it up and toss it into the fire to be forgotten about. But unfortunately, a couple of weeks later, somebody else in the village receives a poison pen at letter and they kill themselves. And... It's not so funny now, no. is it? No. And so the police start to investigate and the police are very firmly of the opinion that the letter writer is would be a woman. And that's... Yes, so... And... Can't remember how Jane Marple, because I read it. I read it a few weeks ago, and I did enjoy it a lot. It's very good, but Jane Marple comes in it somehow, and um, she she sorts things out at the very last oh, thank moment. Evans. Well,
1: mm. I've never read that book. Of course, I have seen the screen adaptations, which are, and that's what I love, as I've said before about Agatha Christie um, mysteries. That in the book and the screen adaptations in a lot of ways are very different but they're both really enjoyable. But of course you can't beat the original so I'm going to really enjoy reading this.
2: Mm. I think you will, I enjoyed I th- it. I, I,
1: I think it would be churlish of me not to enjoy Dame Christie.
2: <laughs> now this is book four in the Before the Coffee Gets Cold series and it's Before We Say Goodbye. And I can't pronounce, it's a Japanese (laughs) name.
1: Oh, this is that chap who wrote, oh, yeah, Toshikazu Kawaguchi.
2: Very good, thank you. I could get the Toshi bit and then I just sort of ran out of steam. Um, Yeah, so he's a playwright and these books have been very, very successful, translated into various languages including English. And as I said, this is the fourth one and I've read every one of them and Mm -hmm. In some ways, they're terrible because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole premise is that this is cafe and in one in one table there's a ghost sitting reading a book and when the ghost goes to go to the toilet, which, you know, as ghosts do, um, that's when you can sit in the seat that the ghost is sitting in and you if they pour you a cup of coffee and you can travel back in time or actually, back forwards in time and meet a person that you want to meet. The only proviso is that they have to have already have been at the cafe at some stage, and and so we've had all these um, things of people going back to meet people. And the, so, as I said, book four and the number of people that are dying of in their twenties is quite astonishing. I <laughs> just think. Well, I'm surprised there are any young people left in Japan <laughs> if the mortality rate is how this man depicts it. But at the same time, they're quite addictive. It's sort of like eating sweets or something. You sort of, once you start, you can't stop. That's very moorish. Yes. Mm. And, um, yeah, so they're not, it's not for everybody, but if um, if you have read the other ones, you're definitely going to be wanting to read this one. It's just one of those things. Once you've started, you just have to keep going. Once you pop, you can't stop. Now, I also have book four in a series. It's The Last Devil to Die, and it's by Richard Osman. And it's the new Thursday Murder Club mystery. And it will be the last Thursday Murder Club mystery for a while because his next book is going to be a new set of characters. But he assures us he has a little thing at the end that he will he will not stop writing these murder murder club mysteries. He's just having a a little little break.
1: Oh, good. I thought you were going to say. you mean there's going to be a whole new set of characters in this retirement home? I was thinking, is he killing them all off? no
2: no, he's he's just writing about different people oh, um, in different enough. settings, so and then That's he's going fine. to come back to them Wonderful. But of course, um. Being elderly people, um, people do die. And- well,
1: antibiotics are a marvellous thing, you know, and people can live to, gosh, well over a hundred now. So these people are only in their eighties; they've got at least twenty years of good <laughs> of good murder solving in them, and and I I trust Richard Osman when he says that they're all coming back.
2: Yes, yes, all the. All the Why would a person
1: has... who makes up stories lie?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, for a start, I don't think his publisher will let him stop writing Thursday no. Murder Club Mysteries. Oh. I mean, this has been out for a short time and it's number two in the, in the bestseller lists in New Zealand and it probably will hit number one next week.
1: Yeah, I think I've asked you, I've probably asked you this about volume one, two and three, but have they ever made a programme on the Thursday
2: Murder Club? No, they they haven't, but I think they very well will be. Because, of course, he, and I've probably said this before, he he has a background in television, so I imagine... um, Well, I can just jolly well hurry up and do it. Well, of course... um, because I mean, this is book four, and he is a reasonably um, quick writer. He's doing about one a year, which is a pretty good lick. Um, some some people write faster than that, but one a year is is pretty good going. But um, if you're doing a television series, you need to you really need the pace to keep going because four episodes of something that people love, or I guess it would be four miniseries, probably wouldn't be oh. enough because people like to you know, just a box movie. Sets and, um, a movie. Mm, I think there's quite a lot of
1: detail in there Yeah there um, is yeah. Yeah. Oh no I love it I'm really thrilled to um, be able to read Part 4 um, Yeah I've had varying um, enjoyment out of Yeah, the first three. The first is what I really love first, probably because it was so new. Mm. But, uh, oh, it's got big font too for us old readers. That's good. And it's a very thick tome as well, probably because the font is so big. (laughs) (laughs) No, thrilled. Thank you so much. I'm sure I will um, thoroughly enjoy this, but I'll let you know. Mm,
2: And it's got short chapters too, which is always very handy. Good
1: for those of us who have a short attention span. So he's thought of everything, really. Mm,
2: Well, I I like to read in bed before I turn the light out. And, of course, if you've only got a short chapter, you think, oh, maybe I'll just read one more. (laughs) (laughs) Nick Minute, two in the morning. Mm. Mm. Now, I've got the latest, Anne Cleves, The Raging Storm and... And breaking the trend, this is actually book three in this series of the Michael Venn stories in North Devon. Have don't know, have you read? It? Yeah, I-, I have.
1: That's the first one, from the Long Call. Yes. yes I have. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I I read this and I absolutely fell in love with it. For whatever reason, I've never really been able to get into Anne I mean, I know people love Vera and stuff, but it's never really. Did very much for me, and um, also the Shetland series. But this one I really enjoyed, and I've become quite obsessed, and I'm, I am I, read The Raging Storm because I started to read it just to get a flavour of it and then read the whole thing, and then I went back and read The Long Call, and now I'm in the middle of um, The Heron's Call, I think it is. The, yes, the, that's the, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: so, no, yeah, that, I tell you. The Heron's what, Cry. Yeah, talk about a trifecta today, Christine. You have just... Boiled me rotten mm. with these three fantastic books.
2: Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that how consistent Anne Cleese is. Mm-hmm. She really mm-hmm. must be the queen of detective writing at the moment because she's got three series going and they're all crackers. Yep. People people love Love all of them, yep. and the long call has been actually been made into a TV series.
1: Yes, and I watched it, and it was jolly good. So, yep. she,
2: and so she's writing three series at the moment. She's still doing, still doing Vera. She's still doing Shetland, and she's she's keeping up with with Matthew Vian. So, she is a very hard worker, and um, she's been writing for thirty years. And you just have to really. Take your hat off to her. Um, Amazing. Is she a dame? She should be. She jolly well should be. No, I jolly well don't know. But
1: anyway, thank you. Mm. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, yeah, I really love the – I think people fall in love with Matthew Venn because he's just so – you know, he's quite stoic and Mm. gentle and – you know, he's a kind up- man. Yes, 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 and of course, we all love his if he's still with his partner um, as well. Now, I just I think Anne Cleves just speaks to so many different types of readers. Her text is really simple. It it's telling the story of a of people in small rural settings a lot, but doing extraordinary things because horrible things are happening. Mm. And I just think, yeah, she doesn't, you know, try to, you know, dress it up as anything else. It's just good, you know, good, jolly, right down the centre storytelling. And she's great with people, with characters. She really does know how to mould and describe a character for the reader. And, oh, yes, just Wonderful. Wonderful.
2: And finally, this is the seventh in the series of um, Robert Galbraith's um, Gomerant Strike ones, and it's called The Running Grave. I don't know why it's called that, but um, this time um, Robin goes undercover and she joins a cult to, to suss out what's going on because a client comes to them and their son has joined this cult. And he's d- dropped out of sight. So Robin joins the cult herself, and um, she th- she's on a remote farm and very very isolated. And she manages. She has a sort of drop box system where she can go to the fence line and and leave messages in a biscuit tin that's buried conveniently. And and <laughs> and, and, in, and they leave her. Um, I don't know packets of biscuits and stuff because um, part of the of the cult is that they don't feed them very much, and this has been got really good critical acclaim. People have found the cult aspect of it absolutely mesmerising, and apparently um, J.K. Rowling has had a long term fascination with cults, and she's been promising to write a cult book, a book about cults in this series for quite a while, and her. Her agent kept saying no, 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 don't <laughs> do that, and finally she did. And um, she said at the back, and now and the agent thinks it's her favourite book in the series. It's mm. and I think a lot of people have felt that it is a big book, but it's just so gripping and exciting, and something not that that you don't read about a lot. So yeah, that's um got. So for people who um, like Robert Galbraith, and there are a lot of them, they will be absolutely jumping for joy when that turns up on the the shelves. Now, have a little break? Oh, certainly.
1: Your wish is my command. Look, I'm still getting used to the new studio and uh, um, all the hotkeys and such like, so bear with. Which one would you like? How about that one. Short one we we'll put the long one on there.
0: The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute welcomes new members. Enjoy the Athenaeum's quiet, warmly carpeted library and reading room and share in the joy of books, new and old. Visit www.dunedinathenaeum.org.nz for more information or pop into the Athenaeum library at number 24, the Octagon. The Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, celebrating Dunedin's rich literary heritage since 1851. And we're back.
2: Now, I have a warning for for women. It's from 100 years ago in the ODT, and it was first um, appeared on the 25th of October 1923. Figure being ruined. Lawn tennis is ruining the female figure. Oh. This is the opinion of an eminent London physician who has studied the activities of women of all ages on the tennis courts this season, Sounds like a bit of a perv. Lawn tennis enthusiasm, he said, has caused many women to suffer from tennis elbow, painfully strained muscles of the arms and legs, and fixation of sight due to keeping their eyes constantly on the ball in the blazing sun. Mm. In London, okay, yes. Most of them are right-handed players. In consequence, the right side of their body is overdeveloped compared with the other. The soft rounded of flesh is reduced until they become lean, tough and unattractive. The constant wearing of heelless rubber shoes makes the feet flat and ungainly and spoils the shapeliness of the legs. Prolonged exposure to the sun on the tennis court has ruined thousands of women's complexions for months to come. The delicate pigments which supply the English woman with her blooming complexion which is unrivalled anywhere in the world, have been burned out. When the sunburn fades out of their cheeks, it will be succeeded by an unattractive pallor, instead of by the peach bloom characteristic of the English girl. So, not a load of tosh. <laughs> there you go. Steer away from the evils of lawn tennis. Where <laughs> oh, do you find this stuff? So funny, isn't it? Well I mean
1: and to have that back in like 100 years ago obviously but I don't know the awful thing is too I don't know some some people may still agree with that which is a bit sad but I mean I'm just using lawn tennis because Mm. you
2: put that there but anyway carry on Now this is um, from Never George the Fifth Never Dull Moment by Jane Ridley and it's about um, I'm going to talk about Queen Mary's war effort because she was very effective at charity work and she knew how um, charities, how, how to pull the strings of them. And when she, before she married, she had worked as her mother's charity secretary so she knew it from the ground up. And when the First World War started, the Queen leapt into action and um, she set up ladies' groups, but when it was pointed out to her that they were cutting out working women, she immediately got to it and changed her emphasis. So it was the perfect epidemic of needlework by the well-intended and well-to-do had unintended consequences. The Labour Party's Workers' War Emergency Committee that's a mouthful, isn't it? objected that the glut of voluntary sewing by middle-class women was swamping the market causing employers to make women textile workers redundant. Mary MacArthur a Labour firebrand and organiser of women's trade unions, begged, stop these women knitting. Queen Mary quickly grasped that voluntary work need not cause unemployment, and that for working women, employment is better than charity. She wrote to the Prime Minister, and aided by the capable lady crew, she invited the Workers' Committee to send women representatives to advise the Queen's Fund for Unemployed Women, which she proposed to establish... This combination became the Central Committee on Women's Employment, a body which combined Edwardian battle axes such as Mrs H.J. Tennant and Violet Markham with Labour Women. Queen Mary was the President and it was financed by the Queen's Work for Women Fund as the Queen's Fund had now become. Queen Mary summoned Mary MacArthur to Buckingham Palace. The two women formed an instant understanding Here is someone who can and wants to help, MacArthur shouted for joy after their first meeting. She gave the Queen books to read and dared to lecture her on on the inequality of the classes. The Queen simply does understand and grasp the whole situation from the trade union point of view, Mm -hmm. said Mary MacArthur Said Mary M of Mary R. Now I looked up the names of of these women. They quoted So Mary Macarthur. She was a Scottish woman, and she she died on the first of January, nineteen twenty, of cancer, and she was only forty.
0: Mm.
2: And um, sadly, her husband had died in nineteen ninety of influenza, so she had a sort of a sad end. Mm. But she was a labour agitator and she was most famous for organising women's chain workers who had a successful strike in about 1910. And she was a long-term suffragette and she wanted to... um, she was much more radical than um, the people we think of suffragettes. Now they were prepared to compromise and have the suffrage given to a limited percentage of women um, women with property, mm. as happened. But she wanted to have a universal woman's suffrage suffrage immediately because she felt it would help labour relations. So she was she was a real radical, and um, but she her and the queen got on like a house on fire. Apparently, <laughs> now mrs h j tennant um she was married to um to Herbert John Tennant who was um she he was mary Asquith's elmago Asquith's brother and he he was a parliamentarian and worked as um as Asquith the prime minister's um private secretary and the woman, and Mrs h j Tennant had actually been may Abraham. And who and she had been a factory inspector. Well, so it was pretty yeah. which is pretty impressive. And Violet Markham, she was quite fascinating. She was born in eighteen seventy two and she she died in nineteen fifty nine, so she had a very long life. And she was actually the granddaughter of Joseph Paxton, the man who did the glass houses and one of which was the Crystal Palace. Oh, and her Her father had a manufacturing um, company so she she grew up upper middle class let's say and then um, she inherited money from a family friend when she was in her 20s which gave her enough money to live on and to buy her her house and um, so she did eventually marry but she kept her maiden name when she married so she does sound like a very... Very radical woman, mm. and um, people said that she was a natural feminist. But she is also an anti-suffragist, and she <laughs> disliked the idea of votes for women. And she very strongly believed that men and women were different. And the other thing that she w- she um, protested about was the formation of the Girl Scouts. She thought it was an, an abomination, oh, <laughs> much like lawn tennis, obviously. <laughs> So these are Yeah, it's
1: all very well for her with a silver spoon in her Mm. mouth and in her twenties to be left money by a friend to set herself up. All very well for her Mm. to say oh no, we don't need the votes because really she 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 was privileged. (laughs) No. Yeah, she had everything
2: anyway. Well, it's a common thing. You quite often um, see women who are living very feminist lives, and but they'll they'll always say, "Oh no, I'm not a feminist," because just mm. um, feminism has a, a bad name or, or bad rep or whatever, and they just don't like to associate themselves with it. Though they're they're happy to um, live as independent women. Mm, Because yeah, males and they'd have given mm. the money. So it's yep. But anyway, it's all, no. That was actually fascinating, Christine. Well, I think it's just um, we all knew that people rushed out and did war work and they sewed, mm-hmm. knitted socks and whatnot. But you didn't don't think of it actually meant that working women were made unemployed because of, because of this great fervour to do to patriotic yeah. work. Mm. So, you know, so many things have unintended consequences. So true. Mm. But thank you so much for those. Including lawn tennis.
1: (laughs) Especially lawn tennis, my dear.
2: All these people with their well developed right sides. (laughs) It's a bit scary, isn't
1: it? And that lovely sun kissed tan from. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, until next time, everyone.
2: Happy reading.
1: (sighs) Jolly, tally ho, happy reading is right.
0: For more information on the Dunedin Athenaeum and Mechanics Institute, go to www.dunedenathenaeum.org.nz That's Dunedin A-T-H-E-N-A-E-U-M.org.nz This podcast was produced by
2: ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.